Hello, everybody, and welcome to another Hello. episode of Peculiar Pairings Podcast. I am we Matt. We missed you. I'm yeah. Celine. We missed you, <laughs> listeners. Yeah, we've been on a bit of a hiatus, moving and being ill, and uh, yeah, and, uh, we're still getting back into the groove. But yeah. we're back, and thanks yeah, for joining yeah. us. You kind of can't record with laryngitis. I was gonna say it sounds like you're still <laughs> you're still on the mend. Yeah. <laughs> It's since I talk on the phone all day for work or most of the day, mm. my voice is taking its time. Oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. I mean, if you need to take a cough break, you, you need to clear your throat. That's just that's just how it's going to happen. I can cut it out. It's fine. Exactly. <laughs> Through the magic of editing. Hooray! I mean, has it been going okay at work, like with your voice and everything? It's does it like feel like it gets worse throughout the day? Yeah, it's definitely worse at the end of the day. But I, when I like first got sick, I used the sick time I had because I'm like, I can't work. Like I can't talk on the phone. I don't have a voice. And then I had to go back to work, and I still didn't have a voice. So, like, I had one of the people I spoke with on the phone is like, do I need to call somebody? Like, do you need medical help right now? And I was like, no, I just (laughs) have laryngitis. I'm fine. Everything's fine. Well, it was, um, it was a lot more like my voice was like this. And it I just, s- like, did not exist. So I'm trying to ask him all these questions. He's like, do, do you need help? Like, do I need to send somebody to you? And I'm like, no. Please don't my, do that. Please my don't. Favorite, my favorite part about situations like that, though, is imagining them on the other end of the line, like, like, like really carefully holding their phone. Yeah, like, trying to just hear as hard as they can and it's like it's on a phone so i mean the best you can do is turn the volume up but they're just like and then they kind of start talking like you like i yeah i i have a problem like they just start whispering by sort of reaction they don't even realize they're doing it i did not have that happen but Mm. i did really struggle with some of like the automatic voice systems or like you have to say certain things to like get through to speak to a person (laughs) and like wouldn't recognize that I was saying anything. So I had a few times where it's like, clearly you're not ready. So call back when you die. You're like, you're like in a sitcom or like a, yeah, you're like in a sci-fi movie where you, you, you're in a space station where everything is like voice commanded. And for whatever reason you, you set the self-destruct. Now you've averted disaster and you need to remove the self-destruct, but your voice sounds like this, so it's not recognizing your commands. You're like, like, yeah, it's like, son of a bitch, we're all going to die if I could just talk right. Yeah, it it was a struggle and it's still a little bit of a struggle, but it's better. And they'll like score some of our calls. And in one of my calls, because it was still in my voice was pretty bad. It was like, clearly agent felt under the weather, but still performed job well. And I'm like, oh, that's good. I thought they were going to knock points off for you being like in like within the throes of laryngitis. And I was like, that doesn't seem fair. But that's good. You got like. I would have thought that. I would have been like, that's not Hmm. fair. Like, it's not my fault. 
But yeah, you got like extra marks essentially because they're like under the weather and still knocked it out of the park. Yeah, I still did all the things I was supposed to, so. Good for you. Hooray. Yeah. So tell me about our pairings this week. Well, uh, <laughs> they're kind of inspired by the uh, the theme, well, as as they generally are. But the reason it's kind of weird this week is because what I remember telling you is uh, you need one type of just kind of any Mountain Dew, a Diet Cola, mm -hmm. uh, any sort of mixing alcohol of your choice, and then any sort of Fritos. And yes. this, is, this is really weird, but uh, it, it does technically make sense. If I'm not mistaken, you, you said that this week's topic is going to be the first computer programmer. Yes. And to me, this is kind of a, a weird nerdy pull, but to me that means uh, what, what some people refer to as a code monkey. And there is a Jonathan Colton song that he wrote for a TV show called Code Monkey. And he specifically references that the Code Monkey likes Tab and Mountain Dew. So the Tab oh. is where the Diet Cola comes in. Unfortunately, okay. they stopped making Tab, so we can't get that. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's why it's all loosey-goosey. But this is one of the few times where the entire thing, like the drink itself doesn't have a name. And the Fritos are obviously just Fritos, but the whole thing is is what I'm calling the code monkey. I like it. And when you first told me what items to get, the first thing I thought of is every single person I know who's like a gamer or does stuff with computers <laughs> loves Mountain Dew. Oh, yeah. It's like oh, yeah. their thing. If they're drinking soda, it's Mountain Dew. So to Absolutely. me, that made a lot of sense. And it it and got Fritos so kind of just the free yeah the Fritos it's snack food it's great it, it is yeah and especially just regular Fritos I my personal like favorite version as just like not caring about calories and stuff kind of snack is the honey barbecue flavor twists oh I don't and think so I've tried that one oh they're spectacular they kind of look like uh, what are the little spiral pastas um, oh yeah. yeah they're made like that. And then they've got this really great barbecue flavor on them. Mm -hmm. oh, and then the mouth feel is perfect because you can kind of crunch them. That, ugh, they're just great. But, um, I, yeah, so, like, that's why everything's kind of loosey-goosey with it, where it's like, whatever Mountain Dew you want, whatever your favorite Diet Cola is and everything. I went with Fireball because I bought a huge bottle of it for one of our previous episodes, and I yeah. need to kind of burn through it. Pardon the pun. But uh, it, it actually isn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I put a, a video up on, uh, on Instagram to show exactly how I made it. And uh, you just put the fireball over ice or whatever alcohol you're mixing, mm -hmm. um, you know, like roughly two shots. And then you double pour both of the colas together or the sodas together until it's basically full. And that's about it. And it strangely tastes like bubble gum. I don't, yeah, I don't know what it is about the mixture of the two sodas and Fireball, but um, I'm not hating it. Hmm. But uh, before we were recording, you said you, you had some thoughts on it, <laughs> did you? I did. Um, How'd you so, go with it? Because I had, I don't know why, I bought like, for whatever reason, a larger thing of Mountain Dew, just like was not paying attention when I got it. Hmm. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, I have extra, so I'm going to just try it with a few other things. 
So I tried it with gin and rum. Oh. Mm. Because I felt like I I should experiment as I was trying it throughout the week. Because I usually Mm -hmm. try to have our stuff before so I'm not like talking with a mouthful as we record. Oh, that makes sense. And I... I liked both versions of it. I used the Kraken rum that we've used previously. And then I used Ooh, yeah. the, um, I think it's the Ryan Reynolds aviation oh, gin. Mm-hmm. It's really, it's pretty good. And That's what I've heard. I liked it more with the gin, which I was surprised about. Cause I'm a huge fan of rum. Yeah. And it just kind of had like this, different type of like sweetness to it that I was like, oh, this is really good. And then you get the saltiness of the Fritos. Yeah. And it's like a nice combination of sweet and salty, which I like. Yeah, I'm kind of getting that too. Like it's, it wasn't exactly planned that way, but I mean, sweet and salty are pretty, a pretty solid combination when it comes to just like bar food, you know, snack drinky pairings. Yeah. So it's, and there again, I wasn't expecting. I just went with the fireball because I have a lot of it, and I was surprised at uh, at how well it's going over. And I'll have to check yeah. my Instagram account because I think it might have cut off the last bit of my video, so I might have to oh. try to repost it. But it's up there That's for good. anyone who wants to check it out. Yeah, yeah, check it out. You can find Matt on our Instagram. I think you're tagged in there on the bio. Yeah, and I did. So they tag can't find you. Yeah, and I did tag this show in my posting, so you should. I think they'll find it through the Peculiar Pairings Instagram. Well, I'll talk yeah. about it at the end anyway. We'll figure it out. Yeah, we'll figure it out. But without further ado, that does bring us to our topic. Um, is it just the first computer programmer, or is there some specific person behind it? So it is Ada Lovelace, who is known as the first computer programmer. That is a really cool name. It is. Um, Ada is short for Augusta. So it's Augusta Lee Lovelace. Really? Yes. It's always weird to me how they come up with like these odd nicknames or like shortened versions. Because like there isn't a D in Augusta anywhere. No. But it's, uh, all right. It's, cool either I mean, way. There, there are nicknames that do make a lot of sense and then others that just do not. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yes. So Ada was born Augusta Lee Byron on January 16th of 1816. So our wow. year without a summer. Actually. Oh, right. <laughs> and it ties into the last one pretty well. It does. I did not notice that until just now. So that's actually pretty funny. Hot off the heels of the coldest, longest winter basically ever. And she's going to become the first computer programmer. Yes. In the 1800s. I know. I wasn't expecting it to be that far back. That's impressive. I know. That surprised me. So she was known as Ada and called Ada by her father, Lord Byron. For anyone who doesn't know who Lord Byron is. Wow. He is a poet, philanderer, philanderer, and womanizer. Oh, I was sorry. I was thinking philanthropist. You you said philanderer. I did, because he is okay. known for just being a hoodlum a little bit. Gotcha. Yeah, no, those are two very <laughs> different things, so I just wanted to make sure. I'm like, I did not hear that <laughs> he right. He have been a philanthropist, but I don't actually know. Well-known philanthropist womanizer, 
Lord, but it was his first Lord name, Byron. Lord. No, or was his that a title? title is Lord. Okay, I always He's wondered Lord that because I've, yeah, not that I know anything about him, but I always wondered if, yeah, okay, Lord Byron. Yes. So, she is the only child he had that was not born out of wedlock. So she was the only oh. non-scandal baby. Wow. He really was a philanderer. Yeah, and she actually did not have any sort of relationship with any of her half-siblings. That which... kind of makes sense for that time period, I think. Like, if you, yeah. if you had children out of wedlock, it was kind of like they didn't exist, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, which everyone, like, knew they existed, but their her mom especially was like, no. Right, yeah. They're not coming to no, family no, no. dinners or anything. He, no. he might sort of... In the shadows, like, have ties to them and, and maybe even provide for them in ways. But, like, they, yeah, they're not coming into the spotlight at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm not trying to make him in any better of a life. I'm just saying, like, by example or whatever, he may have done that. I'm not trying to make him look like a better person than he might not have been. But, yeah, you get what I'm saying. Yes. So she was named after her Aunt Augusta Lee, who is Byron's sister. And her aunt's daughter, she would see, like, on occasion, but it was known that any time they were in court together, her cousin would avoid her, which I think is fair. And then they later found out they were half-sisters, so that just got really messy. Already adding to a worse situation. Yeah. With his aunt? Wait. His her aunt his would be his sister. Yeah. Oh, ew, that's. That, mm-hmm. Oh, mm. I know. I know. Okay. Different times does not make it okay. No, philanderer indeed. <laughs> philanderer feels a little too light. It does feel a little too light. Uh, her father wanted her to be a boy, as most men wanted their daughters to be boys during this time. Yeah, that seems pretty common. And. Byron and his wife divorced a month after Ada was born. Oh. And it was a little unusual in their divorce since his wife took Ada. And according to English law at the time, fathers were granted custody of their children during like divorces and separations. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's kind of a flip from sort of today's standards. It is. And... He ended up, like, leaving the country post-divorce, kind of just went gallivanting off as Lord Byron does. But, like, asked that his sister keep an eye on his daughter. Which is kind of sad, because, like, you'd you'd hope that at least in one part of his life he was being a good, uh, upstanding man. And then he's like, what? I I also lost my daughter in the divorce? Hooray! I'm just going to go off gallivanting. Who gives a shit? Like, uh, father of the year, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, yeah. And Ada's mother was not pleased with her ex-husband and made it known that she was bitter about him, his immoral behavior, and everything (laughs) until the day she died. Yeah! Yes, I love the the bitterness of it. Just that old son of a bitch. I hope she got a lot of money in the divorce. I hope so. And... Seeing as her father left the country, Ada did not have a relationship with him. Mm. 
And he died in Greece when she was eight years old. So, oh wow, they wouldn't have had much time together, anyways. Yeah. And she actually didn't see a portrait of her father until her twentieth birthday because her mom was that petty. <laughs> I was at first. I was going to say that's just kind of sad, but I'm like, oh, I see them. The mom was behind it again. That's uh, that's kind of funny. That's well, because genius. she didn't want any like photos or paintings, portraits, anything of him. Yeah, I get it. That's all. that's kind of awesome. I mean, I don't think anyone necessarily wants like a portrait of their ex husband in their house. No. Yeah, and that's not really an age of like pocket photos. So yeah, it's not like little no. Ada's holding something in a in a pocketbook or a drawer anywhere. So yeah. if, it's if not it's not like a... they had family photos the way we right. have like family photos, and it's like, look at our family at Christmas like a long time ago. It's yeah, not she's like not. That. Yeah, she's not going through a photo album. So if it's not a portrait on the wall, her, her Ada's not going to see him at all. Exactly. Ah. <laughs> Oh, that's yeah. good. So, unfortunately for poor Ada, she did not have a super close relationship with her mother, and she spent a lot of time with her maternal grandmother, Lady Milbank. Ooh, less so, not as good of a name. No, no, she. It's no. not. It's <laughs> just objectively not. <laughs> but I bet no. she was a great grandma. Oh, probably. Yeah, Millbank. I wonder if they called her old Millie. Maybe. Yeah. Grandma Millie. Yeah, Grandma Millie. So she was time. often left in the care of her grandmother, who, like most grandmothers, doted on her. Yes. And, <laughs> you know, because her mother was more concerned about keeping up with appearances, which most women were at this time. So none of this is surprising. For sure. Well, and I suppose after having been uh, married to such a, a well-known figure, I, I imagine she didn't want to have any sort of loss of of affluence, you know, after the divorce. So yeah. I, I can see her wanting to do that. Yeah. Yeah. She was also a little worried that if she slipped up, like she'd lose custody. Oh, I, yeah. I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah. And so she was a little more concerned with that. And throughout Ada's life, she was actually sick a lot as a child. So she was the sickly Victorian child. A classic, lots of laryngitis. She's talking on the phone all day at work and she's like, I can't do it anymore. I I just, I can't take another call. Yeah. But despite being sick, she was Really good at keeping up with her studies. Okay. So, you know, she she did something for herself, but... I mean, I suppose if you're a bedridden Victorian child, you don't have a whole lot more to do. Yeah, poor thing. She got headaches a lot, mm. which would often affect her vision. So it sounds a lot more like a migraine than like yeah. a headache. But yeah, back then it would be written in a book just as like, another headache today. Can't and see it. Can't see. The light blinds oh, me. Yes. Sounds are paralyzing and dread is continuously creeping in. Yeah. And in June of 1829, 
At the age of 13, she became paralyzed after having the measles. God! I she, doesn't, she doesn't even see her dad for the first time until after he's dead and she's 23. But she, we're not even into her real adolescence yet. She's 13 and she's paralyzed. Yes, which she was not paralyzed oh. forever. Just Okay. Okay, well, that's good. Very bedridden. And I was going to say, that does not necessarily bode well for programming computers. I mean, you don't do a whole lot of physical stuff, but you still need to type. And I guess I don't know what programming would be like back then. Yeah, she uh, had a lot of extended bed rest. And some people think it may have prolonged her paralysis a little bit. But mm. I, I, yeah, don't, they... I don't know. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> You're not? But yeah, I, know, I, guess, I don't claim to be. Yeah, I suppose if they're if they're not really pushing any kind of physical therapy or anything, she's just sort of laying there. Yeah, she's there. just laying there. Yeah. But oh. by 1831, she was able to walk with crutches, so she was not down for very long. Okay, yeah, she's that's good. not too bad. That's not too bad. Yes, and at the age of 12, she decided that she wanted to fly. That was her <laughs> big goal in life. And that was that was what I wanted to do when I was like five. But I think she's talking about like with technology. I wanted to fly yes. like Superman. Yeah, all of us wanted wow. to fly like Superman at five. But oh, yeah. she very much is like with technology and like a true child of science, studied wings, did like a whole hypothesis, did like a wow. study and analysis. She examined the anatomy of birds to determine body size versus wingspan. Wow. And went through like this whole thing at age 12. Yeah, that's impressive. To figure Holy this shit. out. And she actually constructed a pair of wings in 1828. Holy so crap. she was like ready to go at 12 years old. She compiled it all into a book and called it Flyology. Oh. Just a cute you. Also, just for reference, uh, you said this was in 18... No, by the time she was 28, did you say? 12. In 1828. Oh, oh wow. Okay, yeah. So... Yeah. This she, was before the measles. Yeah, so she, she made this book when she was 12 in 1828. Yes. Just for reference... I just looked it up. The Wright brothers made their first flight in 1909. So she's almost 100 years. As a 12-year-old, she's a 12 almost 100 year yeah. years before the Wright brothers. Yeah, although she was definitely thinking more of, like, attaching wings to the body type of flying. But oh. it is a start. It is a start. Well, and the idea that she's... If you, if you look up, like, flying machines of, like, history... It seems like a lot of people were building stuff without a great understanding of aerodynamics. Mm -hmm. They just sort of create this weird corkscrew wing on a, you know. So, like, I mean, just that she had, at age 12, that she had the sort of wherewithal to examine birds. Like, we know that flight is possible. How can we adapt it for us? And yeah. that's impressive. Holy shit. Yeah. So, in her book, she included illustrations all of her findings and concluded in the end that she would need a compass and oh, a way yeah. to integrate steam into flying. Oh yeah. That would Which, be cool. 
I mean, considering all the things she did at the age of 12 to come to this conclusion and did it in a scientific manner, she's worlds ahead of so many people. Oh, and she was so ahead of her time in terms of like steampunk fanaticism. I mean, if she was alive today, she would be just like, yeah, she'd be the pinnacle of like certain nerd cultures. Yes. And part of why she had this interest in math and science is that her mom really promoted it with her education. Hmm. But it was mostly because she wanted to spite her father and she didn't want him. (laughs) She didn't want her to end up like the poetic, creative writer type. (laughs) She didn't want her to become a writer like her dad. Yeah, she She wanted her to be a woman of science. Okay, she just wanted her to be anything as far as she could possibly get her daughter from being her father. Yeah, which in the end, it kind of worked. So, sure. Uh, yeah, it is one of those things. The best move, but it did kind right. of. Right. I could see that maybe giving her a kind of complex later on in life of like, did I choose this? Is this who I wanted to be? Maybe mm-hmm. I did want to be a painter, mother, but no, you had to spite father, and now I'm a pro. I mean, yeah, it worked out, but I could still see her maybe being kind of bitter about it too. Yeah, she was privately educated in mathematics, and often questioned basic assumptions in mathematics and poetry and kind of had that more scientific mathematical thinking already. Yeah, so she she was, like, brilliant enough to be able to question the concepts they were trying to teach her. Yeah, and she very much believed that intuition and imagination were critical in effectively applying mathematics and scientific concepts. Okay, yeah. I I can see how a lot of people would find it to be a sort of rigid thing, but you definitely, if you're going to advance the knowledge, you definitely have to be creative. Although I bet that that really irked her mother. She's like, you will not be creative. You are, I did not design you as a scientist to be creative. Your father was creative and he was a piece of shit. I think in this way, she probably was okay with it because it wasn't writing stories and oh, okay. not for adventure type <laughs> That's of fair. thing. Yeah, she didn't, I could see that. Yeah, she didn't want to squelch all creativity. Just like, don't, just don't be, don't a, be a writer. Poet. Don't be a poet shit like your dad. Yes. So now we're going to transition from her childhood life into her adult life. Awesome. In 1833, at the age of 17, she had an affair with her tutor. Oh. And they tried to elope, which Aww. his relatives were not happy about and reported it to her mother. Oh, wow. Okay. So. Yeah. So then Lady Byron and her friends covered up the incident to prevent any sort of scandal. Oh, yeah. And I mean, to be fair, in terms of like very young sort of romantic dalliances 17 is hardly the worst so i guess i mean yeah. and it sounded like she was complicit <laughs> she wanted to elope like it wasn't yes, like he they, was trying it was, to, yeah it was not um, exclusive to one side it was uh, right mutually how, agreed upon how old was he i don't know actually oh my I don't think he was that much older than her, though. Like, I think they actually were 
I would imagine, yeah, I would imagine uh, somewhere in his, like, like if he's a tutor, probably a grad student or some shit, maybe late 20s. Yeah, I don't think it was an age difference of like, he's in his 60s and she's 17. I don't mm-hmm. think it was that. Yeah, it's not like an arranged marriage between kingdoms where they're like, this will keep our bonds strong for generations to come. Yeah. Now come along, my child bride. Yes. And, ugh. No, I'm not going to think about that. Yeah, let's move on. (laughs) In her... It doesn't work out. Either way. Her educational and social goals and pursuits got her close to the following influential men. Andrew Cross, who's a scientist. Charles Babbage, who is known as the father of computers. And he's a mathematician. Sweet. Uh, Sir David Brewster, who is a scientist and photographer. Oh, okay. Charles Wheatstone, who is a scientist. Michael Faraday, who is an electrochemist. Yeah, that one. (laughs) I was just... (laughs) Like, I, I I like to think of myself as a science-minded sort of person, and you start reading all these names off, I'm like, I don't know who any of these people are. I don't think most people do. <laughs> They're like, Faraday. I'm like, oh, I've heard that one, yeah. If you don't know this last one, I, like, I don't know Is it Einstein? what to do for people. Does she have an affair with Einstein? No, it's Charles Dickens. Oh. So if you don't know who Charles Dickens is, we can't help you. Yeah. Also, I think Einstein was many years later, so. Yes, Einstein um, was. But still, uh, Charles Dickens, creative poet. Hmm? That's a little creepy, a little weird. Like, uh, right. I didn't see anything else about Charles Dickens other than the fact that they, like, kind of associated. Because mm. <laughs> I do know that I listened to a, a thing on Charles Dickens a while back. Or no, maybe I'm thinking of, um, I think I'm thinking of Edgar Allan Poe. Never mind. Worthless aside. Oh, well. <laughs> Something about like he had been engaged and then he ended up moving away and and the woman that he was in love with like married, but then she hated the guy. So they divorced and then he ends up coming back. But so I thought maybe mm-hmm. we were going down a story that I was familiar with, but I don't. Uh, I don't no. Really no, no, she. So in that summer of 1833, when she was trying to get engaged and run off with her tutor. She became friends with Mary Somerville, who introduced her to Charles Babbage. Which I think was during one of her times at court. They met at a party. Uh, I don't mean to sound like an ignoramus again, but you've used the phrase a couple times. What does at court mean? Like it's like just at a social function? No, no, no. I don't watch down, Nabby. It's at the physical royal court, is what it is. Oh. So, this actually gets me to my next point, because I can explain this more. So, um, during that time, she was presented at court when she was 17 and was like a popular woman for the season. Which, for anyone who's watched Bridgerton... It's almost mm. exactly like that, except this is after the Regency area era in 1820. It's 13 years later. Right. I have watched, a, I, I think I've watched well, the first like five episodes of Bridgerton. Yeah. So it's, so it's, it's like it's when a, they're all at court and they're like there and like 
the king may may or may not be there, but like the queen's probably there. Yeah, and, and they then, get like, like introduced, kind introduced. of. Yeah. yeah. So when you're at court, you're generally in the presence of royalty and like the dukes and the duchesses and all the higher up people that like hang out with the king and queen. And oh, usually right. you're like partying. Right. It's like a ball, essentially. For balls and for parties and for socializing. Yeah. But, I, and and I, I forgot her father is a lord, so it's not. It's a, not a weird that stretch. she's Right. There. Yeah. It would make sense. Okay. And yeah. her mom's maybe trying to get her married off to a, a high tier royal man. or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. A man of high influence. Earth. Hopefully. Yeah, influence. Yeah. Yeah, so... Duke. Yeah, I was trying to think of Dutch. Duke. Yes, maybe a Duke. Who knows? So, part of these social engagements with all these people is, like, at court. And she was very popular because a lot of people liked the conversations they had with her and more of the social aspect and her intelligence versus the way she looked. Which Ooh. a lot of people said she was pretty, so I kind of had a little <laughs> bit of both. So. <laughs> right. so it's, it's kind of like, oh, no, I thought she was really interesting. It's like, but, but, but she was gorgeous also. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I wasn't listening to what she was saying, but I'm sure it I was I wasn't what she like, was saying. Oh, okay, cool. Asshole. Yeah, she, she was a regular at court, and a lot of people found her charming and she danced a lot. So she'd do a lot of dancing. (laughs) Which I mean, if again, coming back to Bridgerton, man, the dances back then, they were, uh, they they were were really cutting the rug. Yeah. yeah. Tearing it up. Had to change shoes. They were burning them off so fast. Oh yeah. Ooh. Can't even imagine doing that. Yeah. Can't even imagine. Yeah. Then, few years later, in July, on the 8th, in 1835, she married William King. Oh, royalty indeed. Well, he's not. His last name is just King. Damn. I know. So close. (laughs) But he became Earl of Lovelace three years later. Oh, okay. So she became Countess. That's badass. Yes. That's a, that's a cool title. Yes. And they had a total of three houses in their estate. One in Surrey, one in London, and one in Rossshire in Scotland. Pretty so two cool. in the UK, one in Scotland. They had three children. One for, for each house. One for each house, obviously. Nice. Just like yeah. separate them. You right. visit each house as yeah, you visit your child. You beat me to it. I'm like, yeah, each child just stays in a house and you kind of make the rotation. Because you can't have them socialize with each other, obviously. Oh, exactly. No. Oh, terrible. Absolutely not. So her first child is named Byron after her father. Aww. That's cute. Her second child is Isabella, who they also called Annabella. Hmm. And then they had Ralph Gordon, who was also named after her father. So I don't know if that was like. What? <laughs> well, it feels I'm, like the last one kind of got screwed. Byron. Ralph Byron or. Yeah. Isabella. I don't know. 
sometimes goes by Annabella, and, and then, then there's Ralph. Ralph. <laughs> yeah, there's fucking Ralph. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, I'm Ralph from Surrey. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately for Ada, after she had Annabella, she actually got pretty sick, and it took a few months for her to recover. Ugh. Which does not sound like fun to me. Oh. No. I mean, at least she wasn't paralyzed this time. Yes. And in 1843 to 1844, her mother hired William Benjamin Carter to teach their children. Mm. And it was during this time that he was also supposed to be a uh, quote-unquote moral instructor for Ada. <laughs> okay. I love how hard... You put quotes on that, like, mm-hmm, go on. During which he then fell in love with her and tried to start an affair with her, which she was not about, which is what oh, makes it okay. funny. Yeah. He's... He was supposed to be the moral one, and he's the one trying to have extramarital affairs with her, so... Even I, the one who is intended to teach you of the upstanding ways, cannot... Be distracted by your allure. Oh my God, you're so beautiful. Please, let's let's start an affair. Oh, no. Oh, no. Do you know who I am? I am a countess. I'm a countess, no. But it was because her mother felt that Ada was a little scandalous in her time, which hmm. I kind of like to think that she is the kind of woman who is like, going to the horse track, drinking bottles of whiskey and, like, smoking cigars with all the men. Oh, really? That is... That is the thing I like to picture... Okay. <laughs> ...with her, in that she, overall, did have a relaxed approach to extramarital affairs with men. Like, she... Didn't seem to care, so I feel bad for the other <laughs> I was gonna say, when you... Yeah, you put it in that light, and... Yeah, so when you first started in with that, I thought that her moral standing was so high that she was like, I absolutely would never step out on my husband. How dare no. you? But it's really just like, I do that shit all the time, but dude, you're gross. I don't think so. It's like, mm, no, not with you. Oh, poor guy whose name I already forgot. Benjamin something. William Benjamin Carter. Oh, that's a good name. It is a good name. WBC? Yep. She's like, no, no, thank you. She's like, it's because you came in and said WBC. Yeah. <laughs> Morals in the house. Yo, what's up? She's like, Ooh. where those kids at? I'm going to teach all the shit. Yo. <laughs> what yeah, she's like, mm. yeah, he's like, no. <laughs> Anyone who oh. just walks into your house and says, widow's kids at. Like, <laughs> like, oh, oh, yeah, okay. uh, she was a known gambler. And okay, she did yeah, at the horse track, which is why I like to think uh, that yeah. she's like hanging with the dudes, smoking a cigar, just like living her life, does not care at all. Absolutely. Well, yeah. And when you were talking about her being at the balls and stuff at court and like just like to dance and stuff, I, I could feel like that would in the in the 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 theme of the gambling and stuff i could totally see it turning to her just like being a party animal and yeah she's got yeah. a giant cigar and a top hat for no reason she's like i fucking love gambling Woo! she once lost three thousand pounds gambling at the horse track 
Which oh, I did. I did a time conversion. Yeah, I was just thinking that. Oh, hold on. Hold on to hold on, your me, socks because this okay, is going to blow them right <clears throat> off. Yeah, hold on. Okay, so 3,000 3, pounds roughly 200 years ago. I'm going to guess that's about 50,000 pounds today. No. <laughs> no. You ready? Yeah. It is over 322,000 pounds. <gasps> oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Can you imagine having that kind of money to just be like, yeah, I lost at the horse track. Like, oh, well. Oh, my God. <laughs> that is a house. Oh, yes. I was just going to say that. Yeah, like. Oh my god. That's Oh yeah, she's definitely partying and she's got the yeah. cigars and like she's got multiple monocles just for different moods and top hats to galore and she's like, "I just dropped 300,000. Who gives a fuck?" Yeah. Oh my god. And especially back then too, like I mean, I'm sure they had some kind of like paper banking System, so it's not like she was necessarily carrying around three thousand yeah pounds, but, but I like, suppose ooh. at some yeah, at some point she had to. Oh my god! It's, yeah, they didn't have like electronic stuff. She had to get three thousand pounds to the horse track. Oh my yeah. god, that's must be nice. Must, must be, be nice. nice. Yeah. Wow. That is uh, that is the overarching of her personal life. That. Well done. I mean, shit, if you got it, flaunt it. Yeah. Who cares? So, moving on to Ada's work, which is the reason we are here. Mm -hmm. She, mm -hmm. as I stated before, she always had a strong interest in science and just new developments in science, which also included fad sciences. Oh, yeah. Technology, if you've ever... Oh, thank you. Yeah, the skull thing. Yeah, it's I was the... Just bumps and structures and like divots in the skull yeah i'm glad you said that i was that was traits in people that was literally the first thing i thought of and i'm like oh man i want to sound smart and remember what that word is but i couldn't phrenology phrenology yeah, that is that it's, is some wicked stuff every time i hear about phrenology it just always makes me question if my head is weirdly shaped and i just <laughs> don't know it my my mom once told me I had an egg-shaped head, and it made me wonder if that is a bad thing. Most people have egg-shaped heads. That is like oh, a... Okay. Uh, well, fuck you, Mom. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> she, she, was, she always framed it in a way that made it sound really bad. No, uh, when you do drawing and, like, figure drawing, you go off of an egg shape for, like, the head. Okay. So oh, good. if you don't have a general egg shape in some form. That's kind of weird. Well, good. Like the top of your head's awesome. bigger. Your chin's like smaller. Awesome. Childhood insecurity completely gone now. There awesome. you, you're Nailed welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, phrenology. Although I, I have to admit, considering like if you look at the map of the brain nowadays and how it's sectioned out and stuff mm -hmm. and how we look, it, it looks kind of strikingly similar to phrenology. So it makes you feel like maybe they were onto something. They just didn't know 
how to kind of like because they couldn't dig into the brain back then without killing someone you know so i i feel like maybe they had the right idea but it just ultimately was junk science yeah i think they were this close is what Mm -hmm. i think is that they had these ideas and they're like this makes sense but they were still just like that step away from kind of another yeah kind of like they were born in the wrong period again yeah yeah, had they been further in the future where they had the technology, they would have helped, you know, yeah. brain neuroscience kind of, you know, stuff by leaps and bounds. But they oh, yeah. were in the 1800s and like, uh, there's not really much we can do. Fuck it. We're going to play with the skull and see if we can figure something out. Yeah. And from 1842 to 1843, during about a nine month period, she translated Italian mathematician Luigi Manabria's article on Babbage's newest proposed machine, which he called the analytical engine. Okay, there was, <laughs> there was, there was a, a lot of info, but the, the final drop was cool. The analytical engine. Mm-hmm. That's, some, that's some, like, high fantasy, like... Harry Potter kind of, no, not Harry Potter, like Golden Compass kind of shit. That's the analytical engine. That's fucking cool. Yeah, so the analytical engine is, to put it simply, an early version of what would be a computer, essentially. But Right, it's so basic, it's basically, like, all it can do is insanely basic math. Yeah, the only thing is is that it was an idea and designed on paper it was never actually built and like executed Mm, okay so it's a bit more of this abstract idea of this is what this would be and this is how this would work (laughs) boy he was fun at parties actually probably he brings drawings of it he's like i'm telling you man this would be fucking so cool if we could build it but like we can't but you know it'd be cool which realistically i think they probably could have built it he just kind of chose not to in a way (laughs) what an asshole because the part of the stuff that gets a little iffy with some of this is the fact that because it wasn't built they couldn't test anything with it right yeah which basically means it's meaningless like he's he's building a reputation on of this admittedly really cool named thing the analytical engine but he like can't show it to anybody he can't test it in any meaningful way he can't really cannot demonstrate anything about what it could possibly do yeah but he's like yeah i made this thing up it's cool Honestly, I'm not like really sure what I think about Charles Babbage after all this, but I'll let you form your own opinions. <laughs> so did she help him in some way, like like create it? Yes. So with oh, okay. this translation that she did, she added notes to it, which was three oh, times larger, longer than the original article that luigi manabria made right okay i forgot you were saying that she translated it so yeah Yeah. so she's reading through well so first of all she fucking knows italian as well that's impressive and so she's going through and kind of critiquing his whole idea 
Yeah. So she's going through adding in her thoughts and ideas. And in doing so, she added incomplete detail, calculated sequences of Bernoulli numbers, which is a sequence of rational numbers which occur frequently in analytics. Interesting. Yeah, I've heard Brinoli before, but I can't remember in what it's relation to. I mean, that's definitely better than my first thought, which was Bertoli, as in the sauce. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now I want spaghetti. Oh, yeah. Right? Bertoli. I want some of that math spaghetti. I want math oh, yeah. spaghetti. <laughs> Mm, I want mine with algebra and trigonometry. Yeah, like, mom, put that in there. It's like alphabet soup. But. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but it's spaghetti. Math spaghetti. Oh, man, we got a million dollar idea right there. <laughs> math spaghetti. Yeah, so it was believed that with these numbers, it would have worked if the machine was ever actually built and ran. Because there is a chance he could have built the machine and then it just didn't work because it wasn't well, like it was missing like a section or it wasn't like built to actually function. But he didn't build it, so right. we don't know. Right. It's a very convenient thing to just sort of present and promote an idea and then be like, you know, I mean, we could build it, but I'm going to leave that to somebody else. And then nobody yeah. else is going to build it because they don't understand it like he does. Yeah. But then comes along. Ada. Yeah. Which I'm assuming so, she also doesn't build it. No, she doesn't build it, but she, during this time, she did have a lot of back and forth with Babbage going over like her notes and everything. And but he was still alive. Yeah. yeah Sorry, for some reason I was thinking alive. he, okay, I, for some reason I was thinking he was th This dead. was like an article, yeah, that like he had passed away years ago and no, this was a he thing. He was she had, still Okay. Alive. And. In the end, her translation and the added notes was published in the September 1843 edition of Taylor's Scientific Memoirs, which was under the initialism AAL. So, Ada Augusta Lovelace. Sweet. It's all there. Mm hmm. And her notes were labeled alphabetically from A to G in which she describes this algorithm to compute the Bernoulli numbers and all of that. A to G? She didn't need yeah. the rest of the alphabet? Well, I think at that time she didn't need the rest of it. She had what she needed to say. Oh, I was... Okay, okay, I got you. <laughs> she... Okay. She had appendix A was, through G. She added right, right. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. I, was, I think I was thinking like an index. Oh, was yeah. Like that kind of span. I see. What you, yeah, she had like bullet points sort of, and they went from mm -hmm. A through G. Okay. And it oh is my God. this algorithm and computation that is considered to be the first published algorithm ever specifically tailored for being implemented to a computer or computer type system. Wow. Like the first, first ever, ever? Yes. Holy shit. So again, it the is... computer was never built, so this could not be tested. 
<laughs> I was just going to say, like, you had mentioned that they never built the the analytical engine, so maybe she built something that was called something else. No. Okay. She she did not. God damn it, Ada. I just want Ada, add up, mathematician, it all adds up. Her initials are A-A-L. It's all adding up. Anyways. Um... Okay, well, yeah, that does, it really does make it feel like her whole legacy kind of falls flat on its face then. Yeah, but it is this work that is what makes her to be considered the first computer programmer. And for this method to be the first computer program. Wow, okay, Mm -hmm. yeah, so I suppose other people still used this information to kind of build upon and one day create computational software and algorithms and stuff. Yeah. And I am going to state that this is not like the first female computer programmer. It's the first. She is the first one. There's no one else. That's awesome. Which is, I think it's really cool. It's super badass. Although I do need to critique that for just a second. The idea is that well, I suppose if she had a better understanding, because hypothetically, wouldn't Luigi be the first computer programmer if he created the original engine? No, because Charles Babbage made it, which I'm going to get into. Okay, okay. <laughs> oh, don't you worry. We're going to cover this. Luigi nice. just wrote an article about it and, like, wrote about the machine. He didn't actually, like... Oh. I think I am misunderstanding you... a lot of stuff you're saying. That's okay. He so. <laughs> I'll just run through it real quickly. Hopefully this clears up confusion just for everybody. Perfect. So Charles made the machine. Luigi wrote an article about it in, a, in Italy. I was like, hey, right. he made this machine. This is what it does. Ada mm. translated that article about the machine and then added all of her notes, information, and thoughts about the machine and the program with how it could work. And all of that and how this machine would run, essentially. Like the inner right, right. workings in that programming, I guess, code type algorithm versus like physically constructing it and turning it on. Yeah, so like he creates this idea of a machine. Mm-hmm. She sees essentially the blueprints of it, so to speak, and she's like, this will never fucking work. Here's how it can work. And then she wrote up a whole document being basically, like, basically. How... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if, if I suppose, yeah, I see what you're saying. If he, he creates an idea, but she's like, no, that's not actually going to happen. And so she would be the first person to actually make it function. Yes. And this is where this is where stuff gets a little iffy because there's a lot of arguing back and forth as to whether Ada is the first programmer or if it's Charles Babbage. Right. And some of this is because when they had the papers published, him and Ada had a bit of a falling out. Oh. And it's argued that like they needed the papers to be signed, which like he didn't want to do necessarily. But then they're like, no, like you have to have it signed and all of that for it to be published. And he's like, okay, but if we do that, like I want it to just have my name on it. Like he didn't want Ada oh. on it. 
and asked yeah. her to take her name off, and she said, "Hell no!" Like, <laughs> I'm not doing that. This is my work. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Fuck you, bro. So she's like, "I'm not doing that. Like, that's not happening." So he was like, "Okay, fine." Like, didn't do much for it, and was like, "Okay, fine." Just like publish article, and. Honestly, I think that's kind of bullshit since, like, she did a lot of the work. She came up with the algorithm, and they did have some collaborating back and forth. But he didn't come up with the algorithm. She did. Right. He made the machine. She made the algorithm. Yeah, he. that makes sense. It's it, Yeah. If, it, it does seem like it would have been advantageous for both of them to just be like, this is our machine. Like, if they could both just compromise on, like, this is our thing... Because without him, arguably, the concept wouldn't even exist. But mm-hmm. she made it an actual functioning, presumably a functioning thing. Yeah. So it's like, this is our machine, but he didn't want to bend on, like, on essentially, like, credit, more or less. Yeah. And part of it is that um, he's like, oh, well, like, I have notes that predate this this article by, like, a few years. And that there's the arguments that... He was so much more advanced than she could be because she was just a beginner and couldn't actually make real contributions to his work. Because, you know, he's a man and he knows what he's doing. Like, how could this woman come in and, like, do that? Right. Like, like if if they were arguing this in a sort of court, he would be he would just stand up at the podium and be like, everyone, she's a woman. I mean... Need yeah. I say more? And they're like, well, yeah, it's the 1800s. Okay. They're like, yeah, it's like, come women. On. To, oh. Right. <laughs> Just in general. Right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, like, it was the one card that any man could play back then and just be like, gentlemen, I, 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 I implore you. I mean, come on. So I'm dumb. a dude. I win. Yeah. So dumb. So, with what some people will say is they'll acknowledge that but they're like okay you gotta look at everything she did for his work right and that she was the main driving force with the work between her and babbage like going back and forth Mm -hmm. and when you break it down to it's like bare bones there's nothing as sophisticated or as clean as her computation of the Bernoulli numbers. Wow. And between their correspondence, it is very clear that she is the one who showed a clear exposition of the abstract operation of the machine, not Babbage. Yeah, so even though he created it, she perfected it, or at the very least had an understanding of it that he would never achieve. Yeah. And so they're like, yeah, she's the one who actually knows how this works, but she, they, he, she said he could the never abstract ways of how this machine could physically work. And he's like, it could work. I don't know. I don't know, man. I'm just imagine it. where we, yeah. Just imagine where we could be. Cause yeah, this if is he still like, it? yeah. If like, yeah. If he just embraced like her ideas and, and they could just work together and be like, basically create a computer a hundred years before the first computer was actually built. And like, I mean, just imagine where we could be. Yeah. My God, a whole hundred year head start on like 
modern technology. I know. I know. Oh, yeah. assholes. Yes. And in 1953, almost well, it was more than a century after her death, her yeah. article was then republished as an appendix in B.D. Bowden's Faster Than Thought, a symposium on digital computing machines. Wow. And the engine has been recognized as an early model for a computer and her notes as a description of a computer software. That's awesome. So. Yeah, so she's officially, she's officially essentially the first in one. history. Yeah. That's pretty cool. And like you said, I like, I like the distinction of like, we're not talking about the first female. No, no, no. She's the first computer programmer in history. First in the 1800s. Period. She fought measles. She, I was going to say kicked its ass, but it, I mean, it kind of seemed like it was touch and go. <laughs> it was touch and go there for a year or so. Like, she was paralyzed. She was measles paralyzed, had her on like, the ropes. <laughs> measles had her on, you know, on the back foot pretty good for a while there. But, uh, I mean, wow. she was a badass gambling lady of the 1800s. <laughs> I, like I already forgot, I already forgot about the multiple together, monocles. But I love it. Yeah. Monocles and top hats and yeah. beer and, and uh, cigars and shit. Yeah. Dancing. Oh, yeah. And this, she should be a TV show. Like, she like, she should show up in, well, maybe not Bridgerton. I don't remember when Bridgerton takes place. Bridgerton but like a show like, like Bridgerton. Um, Bridgerton is four years after she was born. Oh, okay. Then so she would well, be a okay, small so child. I was going to say, we have a few seasons to go. But yeah, you said 12 when she wrote the book. So well, yeah. I mean, Bridgerton would have to go a few seasons, but it they could do some time lapsing. Well, the thing is, is I think the Regency era... Um, it was no longer the Regency era when she was in court and everything. I'm yeah. not sure which era it was. I don't know why I didn't write that down. Oh, it was Victorian. That's what am I thinking? Is the Victorian era era a duh? That's fine. I'm sure the Regency era would look the same to me as a layperson as it's, the Victorian one would. So similar, but the clothing is different because it's like the victorian style clothing corsets and the dresses and the parasols and the silk it's gloves. the you gotta make your butt look big in those dresses oh right and yeah the, the tiny huge, waist like, and the skirts. big butt yeah 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 well then what is um what is regency it's kind of more like um you know in like the War and Peace movie, what she's wearing. No. <laughs> Sorry. I, you are dealing with a person. I've never seen this movie. My mom just had it, and I remember, like, the cover. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I've... Bridgerton with, like, the dresses where it's, like, the... Just, like, straight down almost. And it yeah, starts, with... like, right at the bodice. A similar sort of like the stylized style. dress with without the hoop skirt. It's just yeah. a, a dress, more of a more modern dress. It kind of is more I mean, modern. Let's, let's be real. Yeah, let's be honest. The hoop skirts are ridiculous. Mm, it's a lot of layers. It's got to be hot. It is a lot of layers. 
Okay, yeah, we should do some a little bit of Bridgerton stuff real quick. Like, how do they even survive? It would be so hot. I was talking about our AC being out earlier, and I like the, the the hottest it got was like sixty eight, and that was still too hot for me. I and I was just like in like nightwear. I can't imagine wearing like five layers of stuff and a hoop skirt and oh going to God. a ball and dancing. What the fuck? How do these people survive? Well, it's like when we were in Florida for my friend's wedding. I'm wearing leggings and a t-shirt. It's 70 degrees outside and I am melting. Like I'm sweating. I'm physically melting into the ground because it yeah. is so hot. Yeah. Like, I, I can barely, like I'm not wearing much of, I'm not wearing many layers. Like how? Yeah. Well, and I think... Um, I used to live in St. Paul and there was a, a small community of, I, I think, uh, Somali people. I don't remember if they were specifically from Somalia, but anyways, they would wear full body coverings. And Ooh. this was in the, 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 the heart of summer, like July. And it's like 85 degrees oh. and they're wearing like full burkas and stuff and they're jet black. So they're absorbing as much heat as possible. And they're just walking down the street. And I'm like, how... <laughs> I am in shorts and a t-shirt and I am, I can barely survive. I'm like, how, how could you do this? And I'm like, so maybe it's just sort of how you grew up, where you were born, a little bit of genetics in the, and I'm like, but how, how could you possibly survive? I mean, at a certain point, science is science and like yeah. heat absorption and like cooling of the human body is just a thing that occurs. How, how can you possibly be wearing that much stuff on the, on a street corner in direct sunlight. Uh, I don't know how I don't some know. people do it. I, I'm sure you get used to it, but it's one of those things like. That's true. Yeah. Well, and I will, to not do it ever. And I, I mean, and it should be mentioned that I am a larger gentleman. I, I occasionally push the scale up to like 300. The people I'm referring to tend to be very slim. So they maybe don't hold in as much heat, but maybe, even yeah. still, you know, know, pushing, pushing 90 degrees and you're wearing jet black. Covering so your entire body, it feels, it's so hot. But, Ooh. you know, maybe it breathes. I don't know. I don't know. Really nice cotton. Maybe. Breathes really well. Maybe. So, going back to Ada. <laughs> she died at the age of 36. So she oh, did no. not live a very long life. Yeah, you ain't kidding. Productive, but not very Productive, long. Productive, but not long. So she died on November 27th in 1852. Uh, hopefully she got a Thanksgiving dinner. I hope so. I mean, I'm guessing not, the but... UK, so they don't have Thanksgiving. <laughs> it was a little bit of a joke. I I did a I also did just a sm a slight like calculation in my mind of like okay, 1775 I think was or 76 was when the Declaration was signed. <laughs> so like presumably America would be a country, and then I'm like, oh right, it's the UK. She so they I'm like. There. Yeah, and I'm like, so yeah, this joke will land. This is perfect. No, no I Thanksgiving for Ada. <laughs> oh. Yeah, she she died of cancer, sadly. Oh, God. Yeah. That sucks. Her daughter was... After all that. I know. It sucks. Her daughter was the person in charge of... Uh, who was allowed to visit her leading up to her de death since she was pretty ill, so she was, like, bedridden. Yeah. And apparently she became very religious during this time, oh, wow. which was thanks to her mother, 
Anna's mother was still alive at this time. Damn. Yeah. And the thing that makes me sad is that it was um, earlier that year that her husband abandoned her. No one's sure why he just kind of left. Who? I'm sorry. Who was her husband again? Her husband. Was that the, uh, this is Ada's husband? Yes. William King. The Earl oh, of right. Lovelace. Oh, right. Yeah. The whole reason that she's a countess. Yes. The Earl yes. of uh, Lovelace. He left her? Yeah. No. Oh. No. Oh, that's sad. That's kind of While kind of she was bedridden. She's like sick. Yeah. That's a two. That's a super dick move. Like. The fuck, man? Yeah. You could at least leave her in a house. I mean, especially if one is on their deathbed and you're not expecting them to recover. I mean, you know, run out the clock. Am I right? Just yeah. Me. Not exactly a very uh, ingratiating sort of move, but, you know, I mean, I'm assuming he's not expecting that she'll live. Yeah. Why, why, why leave? I know. I, I don't know if, like, they had a fight or something and he just, like, was fed up or... Right. I don't know. But anyways, yeah. And uh, Ada requested that she was buried next to her father, which was fulfilled. Oh, I bet that pissed off her mom so much. <laughs> All those years she falls in. Yeah, she has... The la- exactly. You, yeah, you know that even though, even though her dad left... Even though her mom was the one who was always there, I could just imagine that a lifetime of her mom talking shit about her dad. She's like, just that one last little thing in the back of her mind. She's like, when I die, you bury me next to dad because I have had enough of this shit. I talked to Charles Dickens. He was nice. He was a poet. He was he was a little bit like my dad. It's okay. He was a weirdo. He was maybe a bit of a philanderer, not a philanthropist, but, uh, you know, Bury me next to dad. Yeah. Oh, I can just imagine she was <laughs> She's probably so bad. Uh, the <laughs> more you talk about Ada, the more I like her. Yeah, she definitely seems like the kind of person that today... I mean, I feel like today she maybe wouldn't have gotten as much notoriety just because there are so many women who are more outspoken. Yeah, yeah, what life hacks really are. But she, she would be, yeah. like, at the, the time, she would be using technology. I think she definitely would. Well, good so on that, you, Anna. that is our story. I'll admit that I went play expecting. She, uh, I mean, she took something that wasn't technically even a thing. She translated it from another language and, like, the ideas together. I know. So, Matt, do we have any ratings for our pairings this week? I almost forgot the word. <laughs> there have been a lot of words. It's it's easy oh, to yeah. forget some. Um, yeah, I think um, it was kind of a surprise, not hit, but it was it was more pleasant than I expected it to be. I, I remember here, like there being notes of bubble and it was unexpected. Mm-hmm. So I think I would give the drink itself. Especially, like, for being based on just, like, a song and a TV show. I'll give the drink a six. Um, d- doesn't exactly okay. blow me away, but it was it's, it was enjoyable. And, I mean, pairing it with the Fritos, 
again, I got what I what I would say are probably my favorite the the twisty honey barbecue ones. They're just I have to give those a ten. They're fantastic. The mouth feel with the curly crispiness and the slightly sweet and saltiness. Um, yeah. And so together, I guess I'd give it a I'd give it all an eight. It was very tasty. Okay. Yeah. How did you I, feel about it? Well, I I have quite a few feelings because I tried it with um, the rum and the gin. And I liked it with the rum, but I definitely liked it with the gin a lot more. So I'd say I'm going to go with what was better, obviously. And I'd mm-hmm, give mm-hmm. the drink probably a seven. Okay. And I mean... I had basic Fritos, so I feel like you can't really go wrong with those. So true. Say that's probably about a nine. So meet in the middle with an eight. And it it does feel like the basic Fritos always get a little extra points because even if by themselves, they're not like they don't have any added flavor. But that's also kind of part of why they're great, because they're there's literally three ingredients and they're Mm -hmm. just they're just that good with with how little is in there. There's a lot of flavor for the few number of ingredients. Yeah. Which I was surprised about because I always forget that it is the three ingredients. It's like corn, salt, and I don't remember what the third one is. Vegetable. Yeah. It's like vegetable oil, maybe canola oil. Yeah. Yeah. It's just an oil that they fry it in the ground corn and, and just salt. some salt. Yeah. It's Perfectly so basic. basically wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone can enjoy it. I th- I was going to say I think it's kosher, but I'm not. I'm neither. No idea. Enough with what no kosher idea. is, nor an authority on what would be considered kosher. So never mind. Yeah. No it's very idea. simple. That's what I'm going for. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, if, if anybody wants to suggest pairings or stories or something like that, or you just want to send us angry letters, you can email us at peculiarpairingspod at gmail.com, or you could tweet at us at peculiarpairpod, um, or you can check us out on Instagram at peculiarpairingspod, and uh, also check us out on, on Patreon. Yeah, and you can message your suggestions on Instagram and Twitter oh, yeah. if you'd like. Absolutely. Let so. us know what you want. Let us know how we did. Yeah. Let us know. We'll see you on the internet and we'll see you next time. Bye, listeners. Bye.